Welcome to Lessons Learned in Implementation Science. I'm your host, Erin Burks. This is the podcast where we discuss real implementation challenges and successes with experienced practitioners in fields of health, education, and more. Today we have Brad Carlin joining us. Thanks for coming over, Brad. Thanks for having me. Dr. Brad Carlin is currently a Vice President and Chief of Mental Health and Aging with the Education Development Center. Brad has previously served as the National Mental Health Director of Psychotherapy and Psychogeriatrics for the Department of Veterans Affairs. Brad, can you tell us about a situation in which you helped an organization through an implementation challenge? Sure, I'd be glad to do so, and thanks again for having me join you today for this podcast. So the experience that I'll speak of is an interesting one. Um, It's a time circa 2005 when the nation was at the height of war, and I had the opportunity to join VA Central Office with pioneers like Ira Katz and Tony Zeiss to help transform the VA's mental health care system with the hope of having a system that was ready and able to serve and provide the best treatments possible to veterans who come back from Iraq and Afghanistan at the time, as well as to older veterans with mental health problems. And the goal of this transformation process was to transform the system to an evidence-based and recovery-oriented system of care. And VA recognizes part of that a significant opportunity, a significant promise of evidence-based psychological treatments. Um, these are treatments shown in randomized controlled trials to be highly efficacious, often highly recommended in clinical practice guidelines, yet they are very infrequently available on the clinical front lines, both in public systems as well as private systems. And so VA saw that there was a real opportunity to bring these therapies into routine clinical settings and really hopefully make a a real difference in the lives of veterans who in years past might have been more accustomed to medication management, supportive services, case management services, but not active-oriented evidence-based psychological treatments. So I had the opportunity to lead a remarkable team that endeavored to bridge this gap that resulted in ultimately the nation's largest dissemination of evidence-based psychotherapies, consisting of 16 evidence-based psychotherapies for a wide variety of mental health and behavioral health conditions. And it's a Uh, initiative that continues to this day and has resulted as one part of the dissemination and implementation effort, training of more than 11,000 VA mental health staff in the delivery of one or more of these treatments. Brad, you mentioned a team that you worked with to implement the evidence-based. What type of team was it? Uh, It was a uh, terrific team of individuals at multiple levels of the system. So uh, the, the more proximal team, the team that really worked with me directly, was a team of mental health providers working in uh, administrative and training roles, really committed to getting these treatments out into routine clinical settings. So these were folks who led national training programs in each of these therapies, and we also ultimately placed a champion for each of these therapies at all VA medical centers because we knew there was only so much we can do in 810 Vermont Avenue in Washington, D.C., and knew we needed to have local champions on the ground. And then there are a host of other individuals decentralized out in the field who were very much a part of this. But the, the more central team of oversight leading this effort was the team that surrounded me 
to push these treatments out into the field. Thanks so much. How did you approach this implementation challenge of, of implementing evidence-based practices for mental health? And can you tell us what the outcome was like? So we realized that this was likely a one-time opportunity. Very rare that mental health is a priority for Congress, which appropriated specific funds to allow us to initiate and implement this transformation process, including this DNI initiative. Um, but you know, the nation at large was actually very interested in mental health and mental illness, particularly among veterans, for the first time in a very long time at this point, because we were at the height of war. Up until that point, it really wasn't a priority. It wasn't on the front pages. So we knew that this was maybe at best a once-in-a-generation opportunity. So we wanted to make sure that this initiative was informed by the findings of implementation science. And that was very important to me. And this was at a time when even, I should say, since then, it's been about 12 years now, the field of implementation science has actually come a long way in just the 12 years. So this is going back 12 years in time. Um, so it's really still very much an emerging field and emerging science, but to leverage what was out there. And there were, I think, some really important themes, key facilitators and barriers at different levels that an especially a complex system like VA was really important for informing a strategic, intentional, multi-level approach, not just putting together trainings and hoping it sticks and then you measure it or maybe you measure it, but this was really designed to be multi-level, strategic, and intentional. So we did that and we developed a multi-level model to guide this effort based on the implementation science literature that included specific interventions and strategies at the policy level, the provider level, the local systems level, the patient level, and also accountability level. And this is something that has um, since then helped to guide some subsequent efforts, which we hoped would be the case. We hope that this effort would not only help to improve mental health care in VA, but would also help to improve mental health care in other systems. So Brad, can you tell us about what was the ultimate outcome of this mental health initiative for veterans? So this effort to disseminate and implement evidence-based psychotherapy, as I mentioned before, led to training of more than 11,000 to date uh, mental health providers in one or more of these therapies. That's an important process outcome, but I think the most exciting piece to this story is that overwhelmingly veterans, the majority of veterans who have received these therapies have done very well, have shown very significant, robust overall large improvements typically in primary symptoms, often improvements in secondary symptoms like suicidality or suicidal ideation, uh, in addition to the improvements shown in depression or PTSD or insomnia, or whatever the primary outcome domain might be. And it has also resulted in very large improvements in competencies among providers to deliver these therapies. So very large um, therapist outcomes, um, clinically significant patient outcomes, which often look very different than in years past when veterans might have been perhaps receiving support of group service, support group, support group services, group therapy services, 
or other kinds of more palliative-oriented treatments. And then at a system level, VA had developed considerable capacity to deliver these treatments. As uh, a system, it was astonishing to see how far a system could come in being able to deliver these therapies. Those are some really great outcomes. And it sounds like a big part of that um, was not only the evidence-based practice, but how it was implemented that made such a difference. Yes, as those close to me know, I often speak to the how is at least as if not important than the what. We would agree. So Brad, from your work implementing evidence-based psychological treatments with the VA and other systems, uh, what would you say are key areas you know, needed to move this work forward? So I'll mention four key challenges and opportunities for uh, truly moving the needle. Number one is scaling implementation, especially for large systems, which has been the focus of much of my work. And this is a particular need for the kinds of more complex interventions, psychological interventions that require intensive ongoing consultation or coaching for ensuring skill mastery and supporting local implementation. And the needs here, of course, for these fairly complex treatments, which are 12 to 16 sessions in length, require considerable training for leading to competency, as I mentioned, and addressing system barriers to the delivery of these kinds of treatments. It's very different than what you would need for pushing pills, where the distribution mechanism obviously is much simpler, or even brief non-pharmacological treatments that are much more ripe for very broad dissemination and ongoing adoption. So clearly, scaling implementation is key. I do this work now kind of one system at a time. And it, you can effect considerable change, especially in large systems, but there are so many systems that need this work, and it takes a lot of time to do this work. So scaling is key. Number two is sustainability. So how do we sustain implementation efforts that are successful? It's certainly not uncommon for projects to initially have great impact, but three, five, seven years later, they've partially or almost fully fizzled away. So what practices and policies contribute to the weaving of interventions into the fabrics of small and large systems? And this is a limited but slowly growing area of research uh, albeit with limited empirical data to date. So this is something that the literature is really showing growth in, but there's a lot we don't know about how to promote ongoing sustainability. Three is fidelity monitoring following kind of formal training or implementation efforts. And I could go into a, a lot of detail about this because it's a, a real vexing challenge, but you know, for us, it's important to know that clinicians continue to deliver evidence-based psychological treatments, or I also do this work in the area of dementia care, so psychosocial interventions for um, behavioral symptoms associated with dementia. But after you complete the formal training, where we have training consultants or coaches uh, that listen to full session audio recordings, it's very difficult to know what's happening behind the therapy room door. So we've developed some proxies for how to do this in VA, and there's some interesting work going on around natural language processing that allows for uh, going into 
the therapy session notes of the provider and trying to find the pieces of the therapy that you would hope would be there and doing that in an automated way. So that's really interesting and promising. But this is an important area that we don't know a whole lot about just yet in terms of what works and what best practices are. And then fourth, and perhaps the most interesting areas of need and and opportunity for me, and I think is among the most widely neglected, uh, at least in my area of work, involves addressing key patient factors. Um, Patient factors that can contribute to implementation success or more commonly contribute to implementation failure. What I found is that change efforts too often commit what I think of as a sin of implementation. That is, moving ahead of the patient by implementing a new service or product, whatever the innovation may be, but not engaging or empowering consumers in the journey. In my work, we're talking about treatments. We often roll out a new treatment, but the focus is overwhelmingly on push factors, on policies, on training, other kinds of push strategies to get these treatments, these innovations out into the field. But we're often doing that without necessarily really engaging patients who often are not aware of these treatments. And then ultimately, you may find that nothing much changes because the innovation might be out in the field, but people aren't necessarily drawn to them. So really connecting with the consumer product world does very well, and the pharmaceutical industry does very well, with patients, with consumers, and not moving too far ahead of them in implementation efforts. Great. Thank you for sharing those four really important key points about implementation. What suggestions do you have for people who are looking to acquire the implementation skills needed to advance their fields? So as alluded to earlier, even within the last 10 or so years, the field has come a fairly long way. But it is a field still in gangly adolescence, if you will. So I think that, though, provides significant opportunities to those who are interested in entering the field or advancing their their work or careers in this field to make a mark. And so I would highly encourage those who are listening who are really interested in getting involved to just get involved. There really is not a formal pathway into this field for most people. It cuts across so many different areas and there are so many people who do implementation work that don't know they're doing it. Um, So I would highly encourage those who are interested in actually getting some formal training or informal training or experience to do so. It'll put you ahead of the class at least um, for most who are are uh, affected by or interested in this field. But in terms of specific suggestions that I would have, I'll step down from that platform. Um, Number one, I would say um, reading and contributing, even conceptual papers, to the increasing number of implementation-focused journals. There are some really nice journals out there like Implementation Science in the work that I do, uh, Administration, Policy, and Mental Health, Mental Health Services Research is very implementation-focused, Health Services Research, many other journals that are either strictly focused on implementation or are interested in innovation to some degree. And I would encourage folks to, to certainly become familiar, at least, with those journals. Number two, I would recommend for those who are interested in perhaps more formal preparation is to consider a number of different training institutes and implementation that now exist. So there's a listing of training institutes that's 
offered by the Society for Implementation Research Collaboration, or CERC, and the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies, Dissemination and Implementation Science Special Interest Group, uh, also has uh, information about training institutes available. So if you're interested in getting some formal training, uh, that's great, and there are ways to do that. I would highly recommend number three is to join professional networks. Just get involved. Again, it's a small enough community and it happens to be, I would say, a pretty friendly community. And there are people who are really passionate about doing this work. So it's kind of a cool area to develop a network in and be part of a network for. And it's really easy to do that. Um, I think that a number of different professional associations now have special interest groups or sometimes formal interest groups to get involved or just find people, frankly. It doesn't even have to be a formal network. Find people online, find people connected with journals, find people doing interesting work and uh, shoot them a note. I think we are a small enough community and a passionate enough community that we really want to inspire and support others and be inspired by and supported by others as well. So. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to just connect. Next resource that might be of interest to some folks is the Society of Clinical Psychology Dissemination Implementation Portal. Uh, this was done during my year as president a couple of years ago of, of the society. This is Division 12 of the American Psychological Association. And one of my presidential themes was promoting focus on dissemination implementation in professional psychology. So we developed a website on DNI to support folks interested in learning more. And for those who are interested in research, there are a number of research opportunities um, and specific funding and calls for proposals by the NIH specifically. Um, NIH has a solicitation. The number is PAR 16-238, Dissemination, Implementation, Research, and Health, and it lists a number of topics that NIH is interested in funding as it relates to dissemination implementation. And then lastly, kind of a nice go-to resource, particularly for those who are interested in becoming familiar with some of the concepts of DNI and wanting to really get immersed in some overall findings and themes is the nice monograph that was developed by uh, Dean Fixon and his colleagues that is called Implementation Research, a Synthesis of the Literature. And it's a nice starting point for those who might be interested in just learning a little bit about uh, dissemination and implementation. Would you say the organizations you've been a part of that you know, professional organizations and different implementation groups, have they been pretty interdisciplinary? Have people come from all different fields? What's your experience been like? So I would say it's been mixed. Those organizations, in my experience, that have been more active in or knowledgeable about dissemination and implementation have been organizations that are more interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary in nature. On the other hand, organizations that tend to be of one discipline, I will use you know, my home discipline of clinical psychology as an example, uh, tend to have less active involvement in dissemination and implementation, at least in my case. Other disciplines certainly might be different, but certainly a real interest and growing desire to be involved in dissemination and implementation. But I think it's probably not a surprise to say that there's something about the multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary context 
that really tends to foster an interest and active involvement and maybe a certain sophistication as it relates to different disciplines and their experiences that really foster this interest and activity and dissemination and implementation. Well, thanks, Brad. I think you've given some really great suggestions for um, people to get involved with and, and different resource ideas. I'd like to ask you what the focus of your, your current work is with healthcare systems. It's been great to have this conversation and, and delighted to say a little bit of, more about what I'm focusing on now, building from the work that I've been involved with with VA and, and other systems since then. So now I'm working to engage in multi-level implementation of evidence-based psychotherapies and other psychosocial treatments with other public and private systems and exporting in much respect the work that we did in VA and seeing the real opportunities and opportunities for impact in the VA system to other systems where there's great need to improve mental health care. And thus far, we've had outcomes that are comparable to that effort. So it's exciting to see that it wasn't necessarily just a single systems experience. The very interesting focus of some of my work now that I alluded to earlier has to do with focusing on, in a much needed way, the patient level of implementation. So I talked a bit about the experience with VA and the positive outcomes, but the, the full story based on the last several years is that while the experience of broadly disseminating and implementing evidence-based psychotherapies has improved the lives to a significant extent of many veterans, there are many, many, many veterans who can benefit from these treatments that we've seen have not received these therapies. And that's unfortunate. Uptake could be much greater than it is. And so this, in my mind, speaks to the importance of promoting awareness among veterans of what these treatments are, what they mean, and the opportunities that they offer. Most veterans are not aware of evidence-based psychotherapies or EBPs. It's an alphabet soup to them, and they don't know how one treatment being evidence-based and another one not being, how they're different. It's all the same to most veterans, and they don't necessarily have a real understanding of the potential of these types of treatments. And I often say to folks, when was the last time you saw a commercial for psychotherapy? So the pharmaceutical industry obviously has done a terrific job in terms of direct-to-consumer education and outreach. And so I've been very interested in bringing that to psychotherapy. So we've been leveraging the principles that the pharmaceutical industry has mastered, bringing them to psychotherapy, and we've been working to create a national web portal called treatmentworksforvets.org. And this is designed to serve as a national evidence-based psychotherapy public awareness portal that incorporates a very different approach to providing information education. We're using character-based videos, animation, and a much more playful and approachable way to talk about the difficult topic of mental illness and treatment. And using these kinds of principles to engage folks in an online experience that's a journey. It's not pushing information and text-heavy content to veterans. And this is an approach that veterans have responded very well to. So we're really excited to use this approach to make evidence-based psychotherapies or proven treatments a household name for, for most vets. 
The other piece to this project is on the provider side, there is an opportunity to promote uptake and engagement by bringing shared decision making to mental health care. And shared decision making, this could be another podcast of its own perhaps, is an area of significant importance and potential that's been used in many other healthcare contexts like oncology, virtually never present within the mental health care context. Veterans or non-veterans for that matter get referred to mental health or self-present to mental health care, they start treatment. But they haven't really had the opportunity to learn about different treatment options, and through a highly collaborative process, they themselves make the decision about what treatment they want to um, initiate. If they have that opportunity in our minds, and the literature in other areas seems to suggest, we might see a much different pattern of uptake and then engagement in the treatment process. So we're really excited about this, and we've just developed a evidence-based psychotherapy shared decision-making toolkit for mental health providers that will be available um, through the treatmentworksforvets.org website and can be downloaded and used um, as folks might wish. And we're, we're really excited to be making that available very soon. The overall website will be launching this spring. So we would uh, hope this could be useful to uh, veterans and to providers people who provide services to veterans in the VA healthcare system, outside the VA healthcare system, and those who provide services even to non-veterans. We want this to be a public resource that could be helpful. So trying to promote uptake and engagement, I think, is a critical area of implementation. Certainly in the mental health care field, we believe that to be the case. Well, Brad, thank you so much. I've really learned a lot from the discussion with you today. And thank you so much for coming out. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me.